This is a podcast by The Straits Times. In the early hours of July 18, 2018, bleary-eyed students at Kateri Secondary School in Malaysia's northeast state of Kelantan were gathering for assembly when the quiet in the air was suddenly shattered by a schoolgirl's piercing scream. And then another scream rang out, and another, and another. Soon, the girl's cries of terror filled the hallways. The school was now in the grips of a fast-spreading screaming plague. Its cause? According to the very first schoolgirl to start screaming, it was the appearance of a tall, dark figure near her. The others said they saw the same. Not knowing what to do, panicked school teachers frantically sent the students back to their classrooms, shut the doors tight, and faith healers were summoned for an exorcism. Some say the students were possessed. Others believe it was their mind playing tricks on them. But this phenomenon has occurred across a string of schools in Malaysia. Similar events have also occurred abroad. Did that tall, dark, mysterious figure really exist? You're listening to The Straits Times' Unsolved Mysteries of Southeast Asia, The Screaming Schoolgirls of Kelantan. It sounded like a scene straight out of a horror movie. It was 7.30 in the morning of July 18, 2018. The assembly bells had just rung at SMK Kateri, an all-girls secondary school in a sleepy town on the outskirts of Kota Baru, the capital of Kelantan in Malaysia. 17-year-old student Siti Nuradnisa was sitting drowsily at her desk in the classroom when she felt a tap. On her shoulder. When she turned around to see who it was, the classroom was abruptly plunged into darkness, she said. Her head started spinning, she fell to the floor, and before she knew it, she was in the other world, where horrifying scenes of blood, gore, and violence played out in front of her. An evil face stared straight into her eyes, she would later tell the BBC in an interview. City screamed. She screamed and screamed until she passed out. Brief moments later, students from the other classrooms around her started screaming too, in quick succession. They all fell to the floor in terror, screaming uncontrollably, pausing briefly only to catch their breaths. Many of them passed out. Shocked, panicked, distressed and frantic, the teachers shut the classroom doors and barricaded the students in. Among the 39 schoolgirls affected in this Kelantan incident, many later said they saw a big black figure lurking in their midst. Just two years prior to this incident, around April 2016, a similar apparition had reportedly also appeared in another school in a nearby town of Pengkalan Chepa. There, More than a hundred students and teachers were reportedly possessed after witnessing a dark, shadowy figure in the school compound. One of the affected teachers in the Pengkalan Chepa incident later told reporters, 
I felt the left side of my body being weighed down. And then, I saw a black shadow behind me. It couldn't be seen clearly. It was just a shadow. That dark, shadowy figure would go on to haunt three other schools around the same period in 2016. As it did many more schools in the years before, all in the same state. These incidents were widely reported in the media, including by the Straits Times. The screaming schoolgirls and school teachers were thought to be possessed. In all of these instances, faith healers from an organization called Darushifa were called to chant prayers and perform exorcisms on the victims, sometimes for days, until the evil spirits were driven out of them. In Islamic belief, such incidents are the work of Satan, says Ustaz Abdul Rashid Ahmad, spokesman and faith healer from Darushifa, who's familiar with the exorcism of the schoolgirls in Kelantan. It's not a mental disorder, but a disturbance in the victim's emotions. You know, people who experience stress for a prolonged period of time, people have weak spirits, they're too afraid. If they see their friends in that state, they also become affected. If we look at it, it started when the victims felt scared. It's not impossible that Satan then grabbed their hands. Satan is clever, you know, in a sense that it attacks our weakest points. Not all of these girls were possessed, but some were. Some could be hallucinating because they were too scared. According to the Quran, jinn, which is an evil spirit, and Satan, they can see us, but we cannot see them unless they change their physical form. Like a snake or black dog, they could also disguise themselves as humans. If we beat them, the animal may die, but the evil spirit lives. If we are afraid, people say we will feel like we are being followed even when we are just walking outside at night. Every shadow looks like a ghost. But there has been evidence that houses can be disturbed by spirits. For example, chairs being moved, or when you hear the sound of things being shifted. Sometimes you hear knocking on the door and hear people calling your name and you see the switches for lights or the TV going on and off. That can happen too. Darushifa is a charity-based Islamic medical facility that treats patients using traditional methods like herbal medicines and healing massages and through the power of prayers and Quranic verses. In a Muslim community, its healers are renowned ghostbusters. Its faith healers, stationed in dozens of centers across the country, often travel to perform exorcisms called rukia in Arabic on site. According to Ustaz Rashid, a dark shadowy figure the schoolgirls said they saw is called a jinn, an evil spirit that possesses the weak-minded or those who have been under a prolonged period of stress. When these people become possessed, they inflict fear in others and cause them to react in the same manner. 
You see, Darul Shifa's healers have been taught to handle hysteria cases. And they can help. So it's not a big problem for us. First, we will determine who the index patient is and segregate them from the others. We then recite passages from the Quran or Rukia or exorcism verses to them. Now, this is not to be confused with black magic or witchcraft because black magic and witchcraft are not Islamic. We will read Rukia verses to the individuals, not in a crowd because we don't want to spread the disorder. We make sure the first patient is transported to a faraway place so that even if they scream, others won't be able to hear them so the patient can recover. If we treat them in places full of people, if one screams, more will join in and eventually it'll be difficult to keep them under control. So we first determine who started the hysteria. In other words, who is the one who was first possessed? Most scientists, skeptical about the existence of ghosts or evil spirits, attribute the sensation of being haunted to an illusion, a mere electrical misfiring in the brain and little more. In 2006, a group of researchers led by Swiss neuroscientist Olaf Blanke conducted a series of experiments to find out why people, especially patients with neurological disorders, experience a ghostly sensation or apparitions. First, they experimented with mostly epileptic patients through electrical stimulations and brain imaging. They found that damages in regions of the brain responsible for integrating sensory signals contributed to an illusion of another person nearby when there was actually no one else around. Then, the researchers tested their theory on healthy subjects to see if healthy people could also be tricked into perceiving ghosts. They built a robot with two electric-powered arms, one positioned in front of the participant and another behind. During the experiments, the healthy participants wore blindfolds and headphones and were asked to insert their finger into a slot on a smaller robotic arm in front of them and poke around Behind these participants was a larger robotic arm which mimicked the poking motion and replicated it on the back of the participants in real time. At first, the back poking motion was synchronized with the participants' finger movements. But when the researchers began to delay the back poking by half a second, the participants reported a strong feeling of presence as if a ghost was touching their back. The effect spooked the participants so much that some of them asked the researchers to stop the experiment. Professor Blanca and his team concluded that a mismatch between the brain's expectations and the sensory signals created the illusion that another being was present. It proved that our brain is capable of mistaking errant signals for something more. After all, the human brain, with hundreds of billions of cells entwined in trillions of connections, is one of our universe's most complex subjects that we have yet to completely understand even today. Mr. Robert Bartholomew, a medical sociologist based in New Zealand, says, The 2016 trigger was a photo 
taken on a student's mobile phone that showed a blurry black figure that was thought to be an evil spirit that was haunting the school. And when it was shared on social media, the fear just exploded. Human beings have a remarkable propensity for self-deception, for seeing things that aren't there, for believing in things that have no basis in objective reality. Human beings are meaning-oriented creatures. We seek out patterns and we try to make sense of the world and we're very susceptible to getting it wrong. So human beings have this remarkable uh, tendency of, of, of just being very imperfect and, and taking in our environments. There's a famous case in Rotterdam many years ago where a panda escaped from a zoo and the search was on for the panda. And people were chasing it through their backyards. There were dozens of reports. And curiously, after several days, they found the panda. It was dead. It was about 100 meters from the zoo where it had escaped. And it was very clear from the autopsy and looking at it that it had, had died right after it had escaped because it had been hit by a train. So what was everybody seeing in their backyards? Over those days, human perception is very fallible and subject to error. We do not take in information like a video cassette recorder. We interpret information as we take it in. Mr. Bartholomew, who has written extensively about mass psychogenic illnesses and other sociological phenomena, describes Kalantan's screaming schoolgirl occurrences as a collective stress reaction often referred to as mass hysteria. Mass hysteria refers to the rapid spread of illness signs and symptoms without any obvious organic cause. The vast majority of mass hysteria victims are normal, healthy people. It's probably best described as a collective stress response that is based on a belief. We all have beliefs, therefore we are all potential victims. What you need to understand is that mass hysteria never happens in a vacuum. To understand these outbreaks, you have to look at the context, the backdrop. And when you do that in Malaysia, an interesting pattern emerges. Outbreaks almost always occur in the strictest schools where there's a problem between the students and the administration. It usually centers around either too much work or a conflict, like they, they feel their privacy is being violated. Malaysian society in general is the perfect storm for these outbreaks. Girls and women are more likely to experience mass hysteria than men, especially if they live in a region rife with the belief that there's a life in other realms, says Mr. Bartholomew. Across the world, in various countries, there have been many such incidents documented. In one incident of mass hysteria that occurred in Singapore in the 1970s, at a General Electric flatted factory on January 17, 1973, all 25 victims were women. In 1692, unexplained screaming and mysterious fits by young girls of no more than 20 years of age in the city of Salem, Massachusetts, set off the infamous Salem Witch Trials. More than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft and tormented the girls. 
Dozens were found guilty. Many of them were sentenced to death by hanging, while some others died in jail. The combination of factors that render Malay females especially vulnerable to outbreaks, a society where there is an underlying belief in the supernatural, such as jinn and toil beings, a society where females are enculturated to respect and obey authorities, and a widespread belief that Malay women are mentally weak and susceptible to spirit attacks. Malays have a term for this. It's called semenga, your mental strength. And young Malay girls in particular are thought to have very weak semenga, which renders them vulnerable to outbreaks because they believe they have weak semenga. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It may be something in their biological makeup that renders them more susceptible. Studies have shown that females are more prone to panic disorder, to hyperventilation, uh, particularly when they're menstruating. If you look at outbreaks in schools, easily the most common group affected are girls around menstruating age. This is the group of people who are least likely to verbally complain. They'll hold it in and the stress builds and builds in the group. And then when one goes, it triggers the rest of the group. Within say 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you might get eight, 10, 12 other students exhibiting similar symptoms. But it's not like it just suddenly happened. This never happens in a vacuum. It would have built up over weeks and in months, and then boom, you start getting the twitching, shaking, altered states of consciousness. The other interesting, fascinating aspect is people can sometimes look at this as backwards, but it's really interesting because it has also been looked at by some academics as a ritual of rebellion. In other words, this is a structured way for Malay females who don't have a lot of power to get power because what happens when they start twitching, shaking and going into these altered states of consciousness, which is involuntary, you get the community coming in, you get parents coming in, you get the outside educational authorities coming in and having a closer look at the schools. And then the BOMO is almost a negotiator saying, well, look, the spirits are telling me that the school is too strict and it needs to be relaxed. And often a negotiation takes place and they do relax the standards and the hysteria dissipates. So it's a fascinating way for Malay females to empower themselves subconsciously through these trans-like states. And it's become stereotypicalized over the years. So they almost expect that this is going to happen. But some of those who have experienced it say it's all very real and the effects of the mass hysteria on them never really goes away. Nor was first afflicted by mass hysteria 15 years ago at a school camp in Bachok, a coastal town some 30 minutes away from Kotabaru, Kelantan. She was 17 when she joined a motivational camp in 2007. Nor vividly remembers seeing two men dressed in black appearing in the camp's compounds. Before the incident, I already felt uneasy when we arrived at the campsite and I told my father that. 
But I went anyway, because I'd already signed up for it. And I was also one of the pupils who had planned the event. Around the Maghrib prayer time, around sunset, I saw what looked like two men in black clothes going into a friend's compound. That was where a friend had told me earlier that she saw scattered human skulls. At night, I felt dizzy and unwell, so I asked for some medicine from a teacher. I fell asleep, and then suddenly, I heard my friend screaming hysterically. I scrambled to get up and help her because I heard her asking for help. But I was drowsy from the medicine. Suddenly, I heard a hoarse voice calling my name. Then, I felt something coming towards me. And then I was falling in and out of consciousness. And next thing I knew, I was screaming hysterically too. When I became hysterical, everyone ran away too, because they were afraid to become infected. Only my close friends came to massage me, read me Quranic verses, and they asked me to repeat those verses after them. Semi-consciously, I repeated some of those verses, and the teachers then took me and my friend to the worship place for ablution. Noor said she eventually recovered after receiving treatment from Daru Shifa. It's been 15 long years since that incident. Noor is now 34 years old and a mother of a one-year-old child. But since that incident of mass hysteria, she says, she's not stopped seeing things around her that others say they can't see. After that incident, I started to see ghosts and spirits. At the same time, I feel my own emotions also played a role. Because I'm the kind of person who likes to keep active. I like to go out and come home late. And the lifestyle I kept may have had an impact as well. In the past, I slept very little because I would study and often stayed up late to read. I would also go home late after working overtime. Now, when I go to the shops, I can tell which ones are the shopkeepers who practice black magic. And if the place has a presence, I can sense it. Some of my friends are afraid to be with me now. And they talk about me like I'm very strange, like I'm a mystery. Was it all a supernatural phenomenon, a demonic possession, or merely a stress-induced hallucination? We might never really find the answers. This is the fifth and final episode of the Straits Times Unsolved Mysteries of Southeast Asia series. This episode, The Screaming Schoolgirls of Kelantan, is produced by Janing Tan, Magdalene Fang, and Tio Tongkai. Check out the full story in the podcast description and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts for all the other episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.